1: Hey there, Buffalo Bills fans. Welcome back to Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast here on BuffaloRumblings.com and everywhere else you go to get your fine Bills podcasts. My name is John Boccasino, being joined, of course, as I always am by my colleague and co-host, Jamie D'Amico here on the pod. Jamie, good morning. Buddy, good to be back. How you doing? I am doing well. I'm doing well, man. I hope you're doing well, uh, yourself, I know we're coming off of the 4th of July holiday, and uh, that means one thing, we're getting closer and closer to meaningful football with training camp coming up on less than three weeks away. Home games will be here before you know it. It's so exciting, Jamie, for the season to finally be rounding into form. This is really, I don't know how you feel, but for me, it's it's frustrating with this uh, this dead time. You know, there's this lag between the mandatory mini camp and the OTAs and the draft, and then there's the dog days of summer getting ready for training camp to begin. I'm really looking forward to uh, when training camp starts on the 27th of July, actually getting to see the bills in action more so than just speculating on what we think may or may not happen.
2: Ah, uh, yes. When real news begins you know, as opposed to so-and-so showed up and they're in the best shape of their life. And this guy looks really good running routes, but, you know, there's no contact. So yeah, they may look good running routes and catching the ball, but oh yeah, they can't get off the line of scrimmage because they're too weak. That kind of stuff is going to show up. So all the soft news, the things that we use to fill time, that's going to go away. We're going to get to talk real football. Yes. Yes bring it on. The expectations
1: are sky high in 2021. And thank goodness we're not, I guess we'd be really busy if we were a Packers blog with the Aaron Rodgers saga. That's <laughs> really the only, uh, you know, news that's actually happening. That's non-news, but people are still talking about the... Now, let me
2: ask you, if that sort of thing was going on in Buffalo and it were, say, word got out that Josh Allen is unhappy, as a member of the media, as you are, you've had an illustrious career both as oh, a writer kind. and podcaster. Would that be entertaining for you? Or do you just love the Bills so much you say, no, no, I don't want the storyline. I just want it to be quiet.
1: You know, I think it would be it would be interesting. I think back to like the the Bills beat writers who covered Jim Kelly when he opted for the USFL over the bills and had the famous quote of I'll give you a living in Houston or Buffalo what would you choose and that was kind of the rationale for him going to uh the USFL over the bills but they had something to talk about they had content to go through and yeah the fan base was pissed off that the bills were spurned uh for the USFL in Jim Kelly's case if that happened with Josh Allen I mean legitimately I would have to talk about it we would have to talk about it that the challenge would be coming up with new ways to tackle it i mean there's only so much when you've got a party like aaron Rodgers who's not saying anything you know i mean he's saying things but he's not really saying anything if you get my drift Mm -hmm. um you know he could and the gm has come out they've addressed it mark murphy's made some veiled comments it would get frustrating after a while because i wouldn't want to just be speculating on noise when it came to the podcast. That's not, we're, we're about substance. We're not about, oh, you know, could this be the beginning of the Aaron Rodgers era in Buffalo? Question mark. Like that's not our style. You know, we're trying to really go about and bring you the news that's based in what's actually happening versus speculation land. So I guess it would be tough to say. I mean, I'd be, I'd be frustrated that we were talking about a Josh Allen holdout. Um, a situation like that. I'd be frustrated at the progress being stymied for a really talented, you know, Bills team. But I would also feel like I'd want to be fair to the fans and not just come on here and blow steam up your you-know-what by saying things that really I had no idea on because, again, it's all vague right now.
2: How would you feel? I think that my fandom would win out over the, the podcaster in me, and you'd probably have a lot of frustration coming from me. And, and, you know, I, I try really hard to remove the emotion from it. And oftentimes, you know, that it's to my detriment because when I try to remove the emotion from it, I start sounding like the opposite of a fan of the team and I become really pessimistic and, you know, I, it's very on brand when I'm like, the Bills are not going to win another game the rest of the season, you know, and that's I, I've been called out on Twitter for that. So <laughs> <laughs> at the Jamie D'Amico, of course, if you want to get
1: involved in in this conversation. But thank goodness, and you can get me at John Bacassino as we're talking Buffalo Bills football. And again, we are believe a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. I mean, you know, as much as and I appreciate Jamie giving me the verbal bouquet of my journalistic career. <laughs> and you know, I, I I I I get accused. There's one. Uh, one fan of mine in particular who likes to call me, uh, you know, John the eternal optimist when it comes to the, the Buffalo Bills. I would like to think I can see past the shit to see what's really happening with the team, but I'm more likely to give this regime the benefit of the doubt than past ones, and they and rightfully so. I mean, look what they've done during the first several years of the Bean and McDermott tenure. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, I don't know. I I, I like to have... I want the team to win. You know, I want the team to do well. I can't wait for our content this year. And our content was great last year with the Bills making it to the AFC championship game. It was so much fun doing your prep and doing your homework and being like, my God, we're talking about playoff previews. We're talking about AFC championship game previews and, you know, Super Bowl aspirations. It's it's, it's fun to allow yourself to both be a fan
2: and try to have that you know, the microphone, so to speak. And, you know, let's call a spade a spade here. You were, in fact, a sports writer for the Rochester Democrat and Chronicle. I mean, not everybody gets to that level. I got
1: to have a I, I was blessed uh, in, in some sense. I mean, the newspaper industry is, is is struggling. There's still some great work being produced by our colleagues in Buffalo at the Buffalo News and Sal Mayorana at the Democrat and Chronicle. It was a fun time, and I got to cover training camp uh, when T.O. came to town, and I got to interview. Dude, let me tell you, personal aside, that was probably the most fun I ever had as a journalist, even though the team was terrible. um, I loved Ryan Fitzpatrick. No no shocker there. And getting to watch that team in training camp when there was actual legitimate buzz about the team and – Yes, of course, it was misguided. T.O. wasn't going to make a six and ten Bills team have Super Bowl aspirations, but he was a character. He was an enigma who chose Western New York over a bunch of other cities. And that circus that was the T.O. show. I mean, there's a reason the guy got reality TV contracts. He was entertaining.
2: (laughs) I have to say I'm a little um, I am a little envious of that. that. That just sounds that sounds really good. That that just sounds like a great time. But, you know, hey, let's fast forward to now. This Buffalo Bills team, that's what we're going to talk about today.
1: This is a pretty fun Buffalo Bills squad to get to cover here on Bill Eve, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. And the topic du jour uh, for Jamie and I this week, we it's not reminiscing about Bills past teams or, you know, my my fan crush on Ryan Fitzpatrick or that magical summer of covering Bills training camp at Fisher. It's spinning ahead to one of the issues that I think Bills fans, maybe it was unfairly uh, brought about because a lot of national media folks had the Bills drafting Travis Etienne or Najee Harris uh, in the first round of the draft. But like it or not, the Buffalo Bills did not overhaul their running back core this offseason outside of bringing in Matt Breda from the 49ers to compete with Antonio Williams, Taiwan Jones, and everyone's favorite Christian Wade uh, to make that third running back role. It seems pretty apparent as we're sitting here that Zach Moss and Devin Singletary are the one, two in the pecking order for the running backs. But here's our topic. Who of those two backs Moss or Singletary is better suited to be the bell cow back to carry this team on the ground game. Jamie, Before we get into our answer for who we think will carry the load, let's review our strengths and weaknesses for both of these backs. Starting with Moss, what do you like about the second year player out of Utah? Oh man, the guy
2: is a load, right? He's, um, he's fairly, fairly shifty on his feet. And the guy loves contact. He's, he runs really well behind a zone blocking scheme. He's a, a one cut hit the hole kind of guy. And man, he doesn't mess around. He looks for contact, finishes his run strong, and, you know, he's got that build, that short, uh, stocky kind of bowling ball thing that's tough to see behind the line of scrimmage, but also difficult to bring down. What do you like about him and or Singletary?
1: Yeah, I'll start off with Moss because I feel like he is the back that most clearly fits that traditional running back mold of between the tackles, you know, is is not going to he's never going to have breakaway speed. But the fact that he doesn't shy away from contact, like you said, he's great at delivering punishing hits to linebackers who try to confront him. I think that Moss showed a lot last year, especially when he came back from that toe injury. He was just a brand new back, especially in that week seven win over the Jets when he basically got the team into field position for a couple of key field goals that the Bills needed to escape with a win uh, over the Jets and get him into first place. That was a really fun game for Zach Moss to watch kind of his coming out party. He was able to gain way more yards after contact. He was a headache for the defenders trying to tackle him in the open field. And I just feel like he has the more I could see him easily being the first and second down back and Singletary's scat back skills and you know the speed and elusiveness being more suited for a third down kind of role um, with the fact that Moss, the, the the key wild card is we don't know how, if any, there'll be lingering effects from the uh, ankle injury that he suffered against the Colts. All indications are that he's going to be back and he's going to be healthy, but for a running back, that ankle is a very, it can be worrisome. If there's any sort of issues that pop up again, nothing has come to our attention so far, but I don't know. I would hate for injuries to derail, an impressive campaign for Zach Moss, which sounds very similar to Devin Singletary, who burst onto the scene out of Florida Atlantic and then kind of had a really rough year last year if you look at expectations versus
2: reality. That's true. And, you know, one of the things that, that I want to address, and this isn't a criticism of what you just said, but something that needs to be put to rest is that Devin Singletary is not a speed back. He's not fast. He, in no, fact, no. is slow. Um, he, he is an ankle breaker for sure. His shiftiness and stop-start ability is uncanny. But this is not a, a fast back. And I know when the Bills brought in uh, Zach Moss, people were like, ooh, thunder and lightning, the speed back and the power back. No, Devin Singletary is not a speed back. He's not fast. He is, however very skilled at breaking to the outside. Why is that? It's because he has really good vision and because he can cut up field very well. Now, you know, I'm sorry. I, I got I to gotta cut you off for
1: one second there, Jamie, because I, I like the point that you made about the misconception of Singletary being a speed back. You know what I liken Devin Singletary's rookie year in the NFL to? Please. To that energetic puppy who isn't the fastest, but darn it, he can cut on a dime. He's going to chase after and chase after and chase after you until you give up because you are just exhausted from going after this ball of energy. Devin Singletary (laughs) is not the fastest back in the world, but man, ankle breaker is exactly the right way to define him. And that's what I liked about his rookie season was there were so many plays when you're like, Man, Singletary is going to get crushed behind a bad O line and lose two yards. Oh, he gained four yards on that play. He would find a way to take the negative plays and at least gain something from it. And there's always going to be a role for that type of back in the NFL.
2: Absolutely. Now, Something that we need to talk about in reference to Devin Singletary, and I realize that we may be getting a little bit off track here, but this is an important topic, is that the offensive blocking scheme by the line changed from his rookie season to his second season. They went from a polling system where one of the linemen would vacate his spot on the line and run around the edge to lead block for Singletary. That's a polling system. In his second season, they shifted to a zone-blocking scheme. And zone-blocking is when they basically say, okay, line, you're going this direction. If somebody's in front of you, you block them. If they are not in front of you, you pass them along to one of your teammates to block for you. Devin Singletary's production suffered when they shifted. Also, the play of Mitch Morse suffered when they shifted to the zone blocking scheme. Now, I understand the benefits of zone blocking, especially if you have somebody like Zach Moss out there, but that doesn't suit Devin Singletary's skill sets as well as the polling system. That, to me, was the big difference in his performance between year one and year two of his career in the NFL.
1: And that would explain a lot of the difference that Singletary saw in the drop off in productivity. I mean, when he burst onto the scene his rookie year, he was averaging 5.4 yards a carry, which is unheard of, you know, for I mean, that that was almost, I think, a franchise record for the Buffalo Mm -hmm. Bills. It was right at the very top of the league uh, with his productivity, and he lost half a yard per carry going down to 4.9 yards per touch in 2020. And I think the change of the zone uh, of the blocking scheme from what we outlined earlier, having Buffalo go from that polling system into the zone blocking scheme has to be accounted. That's a great call on your part to bring up one of the big reasons why Singletary's play uh, declined. I want to give Singletary some credit uh, for recognizing that adjustments. Now, granted, I'm also willing to give him a, a pass because the offensive line was historically bad last year in their blocking, whether it was... Oh my
2: God. Brian Winters didn't belong in the NFL yet. He was starting.
1: How are you going to produce any sort of productive carry if you got Brian Winters at one of the guard spots trying and failing to open up daylight for a back to go through? I mean, it's no wonder. And the Bills, I think they had seven or eight different combinations of linemen that they trotted out. They didn't really get a consistent lineup lineup on the O-line until well into the second half of the season. Hopefully there's some continuity, and that's a topic for another pod about the O-line and the combinations that need to come off for the Bills to succeed in the ground game. But I think I'm willing to give Singletary and Moss, too, although he had a really good second half of the year. I'm willing to give Singletary a pass because it's hard enough adjusting from year one to year two in the NFL with knowing that defenses are wiser and they're going to make the adjustments to take away what you do well, you factor in not getting any actual like real time for the off season because of the pandemic. I'm willing to give Singletary another chance this year. And the reason Mm -hmm. why is I've heard really good reports. And I say I've heard, I've read some articles that say that Singletary is working on transforming his body. He's working on shedding weight and trying to get back to being more of that elusive. I guess he put on some weight like all of us did uh, during the pandemic, and he's really recommitted himself this year to the offseason in the weight room. Uh, He's taking weight off his frame. He's getting stronger, and hopefully with you factoring in that with the cutback abilities, we'll
2: see a healthier return to productivity for Singletary. I would think so too. Now, we've talked about his production decreasing from year one to year two. But one place where he showed dramatic improvement was pass blocking. He was atrocious in his rookie season. Last year, he was one of the best pass blocking backs in the NFL. He was so reliable picking up blitzing linebackers and defensive backs that they had him on the field for most third down plays for exactly that reason. Because he's decent as a pass catcher. Now, he did have some big drops, but they seem to be more uh they seem to be more mental lapses than anything else. And that makes him a valuable player who definitely is going to make a case for being on the field at minimum on third downs. But the Bills have such a pass-first attack that there is some there's some true utility in having him on the field.
1: Oh, I want to go and I think you hit on a lot of really good points to unpack uh, during that response right there, Jamie. But I think that you look at the the both the pass protection abilities. Yeah, he night and day improved dramatically from his rookie season to his sophomore year. And that's so important for Pete. Josh Allen put this stigma to bed last year, but heading into 2020, one of the prevalent thoughts was if you blitz the crap out of Josh Allen, he's going to make poor decisions. And he put that to bed. He had a really great season under pressure, handling the blitzes that were coming. And Devin Singletary deserves a ton of kudos for the way he stands in there. I mean, Devin Singletary is not the tallest of running backs. And yet, as someone who's under, I think he's 5'9". Uh, he's, oh, sorry, he's five foot seven. He's 5'7 and 203, and yet he is fearless in his pass protection, and he's fearless in picking up the blitzing linebackers or defensive backs. That You're right, that's a very undervalued trait to this Bills offense, and I know Singletary is maligned for one play in particular, that drop out of the backfield against the Chiefs in the AFC Championship game. That was a horrible microcosm for what was to come for the Bills the second half of that game. But he was a much better pass catcher out of the backfield than he was his rookie year. And for a team that, like you said, likes to throw the ball around the yard, having a reliable receiver out of the backfield, Singletary is a much better pass catcher out of the backfield than Zach Moss. And Moss isn't
2: terrible, you know, he's he's not terrible, but Singletary does have the edge there. And, you know, let's keep in mind, Singletary played at Florida Atlantic, not, you know, a a true powerhouse of a school. So he has room to continue to improve. And I think you're going to see it. And I think a lot of it is going to have to do with how the bills offensive line sort of shakes out coming into this season. I think last year, one of the reasons that they played a zone heavy scheme was because they had so much transition. It's probably just easier for guys to pick up on than to try to figure out individual assignments. And because they were shuffling people in and out, you know, ease may have been that that may have been what they needed. Also, they may have been trying to do a little bit more play action, which certainly is more effective if you are good at running an outside zone scheme. (laughs)
1: Now, when it comes to, and Jamie, again, a lot of great points you're bringing to the table here about these Bills running backs and what they're able to pick up when it comes to the blitz protection or the zone blocking scheme and following the holes to daylight. The Bills did not have a very productive running attack last year. That's not a secret. We've all gone through this ad nauseum, but I want to talk about the Bills running backs in terms of how good they are. And, and I'm going to turn this over to Jamie because he's done some research on this topic here. And I think it'll really be relevant for this conversation. We were talking about the Bills lacked explosiveness out of their, uh, their team running backs last year. They only had 33 runs of 10 yards or more, which is less than two per game, which is far below average. And a lot of that can be attributed to to the poor offensive line, where the Buffalo Bills running backs are getting encountered in the backfield and having to make something out of nothing in a heartbeat. Zach Moss led the team last year with 13 broken tackles, which sounds really good on the surface, but he didn't do as much after contact as his colleague and teammate, Devin Singletary. Break down for us, Jamie, who excelled in that part of the game and why you think that's a big difference to take who might be the lead bell cow back in 2021?
2: Well, this is really an indictment of the bills offensive line. So Devin Singletary was number two in the NFL in yards after contact per attempt. He averaged 2.9 yards after contact. Damn. The leader in the NFL had three yards. So a 10th of a yard better. Now, he averaged 1.5 yards per attempt before contact. That's terrible. That means he's basically getting two steps before, before Defender has already hit him, and he's figuring out a way to get another two and a half yards. That's not bad. Now, Zach Moss, I don't want this to sound like Zach Moss is substantially worse than Devin Singletary because if you take a look at it, he averaged 1.8 yards before contact and 2.4 yards after contact, good for ninth in the NFL. So both of the Bills running backs were in the top 10 in yards after contact they're being hit way too early. And you see oftentimes, especially against the Bills, when the Bills aren't playing the run well, a back won't even be hit until they've already gotten three, four yards. Nobody will even get a hand on them. How can you be successful when the line is not doing you any favors? I mean, how many times did you see Moss and Singletary have to make a great move behind the line of scrimmage just to get away from a defender who nobody seemed to block on a particular play or completely blew up the Bills' offensive line. Yes, the Bills don't have the jail breaks that they had back in the aughts, thank God. But still, you see a defender getting through the line way too often. Now, based on those stats, can you say who is substantially better than the other? I, I don't necessarily.
1: So I, and the reason we wanted to bring up these points is it's it, it shows that as much as Bills fans want to lament the lack of what they want to call the pro bowl running back in the backfield. Moss and Singletary did more with less than almost any other running back tandem in the NFL. And given the fact that the offensive line in theory should get better in 2021, I say should because there was so much offseason. Uh, to work on their development and get the continuity for the scheme down. They're going to be on the field, hopefully Mm -hmm. health willing, way more often than they were in 2020. I think that Moss and Singletary are actually better than Buffalo Bills fans think heading into the 2021 season. And I think that if you factor in improved continuity on the offensive line, Moss is also going to improve with his vision. And the fact that he was able to get 2.4 yards per carry after contact despite some times where he really struggled to identify where he should go with the carry. Now, part of that could be the overall chaos theory with everything collapsing around him with the line not protecting, but it's a proven theory that backs the older and more experienced they get, the better their vision is going to get when it comes to cutbacks and finding the open space to take the ball. So I think that Moss is going to get a lot better with his improved vision in year two Singletary getting slimmed down and trying to find that more of an explosive touch that he had his rookie year. I think that's going to lead to more positive results. That's why I'm generally bullish on the running backs in general for the bills. And I'm not kind of saying that the sky is falling. So I, I I feel there's a a sense of hope and optimism when it comes to the backfield situation for the
2: bills. Now I, I just want to point this out. Devin Singletary ran for approximately 200% more of his yards after contact than he did before contact. Double. That's mind-boggling. That's it really Yeah. And it's it's not like he was going out of his way to run into tacklers. Um but there's one aspect that both of these backs are lacking and it's speed. And that is why the Buffalo Bills brought in Matt Breda. And it seems like it's going to be a two-man race for the starting position. But I do want to bring up the possibility that Breda, who two years ago with San Francisco, was outstanding, rushed for uh, over 800 yards. Now, Breda in the scouting combine... Ran a 4.39 40-yard dash. That is not something that either the Bills running backs have been able to do. I think that there is a possibility that Breda could become the dark horse starter. I don't think it's likely, but it's possible.
1: You know, it is. It is definitely possible. He had a, I believe he gave the times earlier, but I'm seeing a 4.37 40-yard dash Um, at his college uh, pro day coming out. And and that's a pretty darn fast speed that the bills don't have on their running backs. My, my problem with Breda is I just don't know what his, because we know that the bills, you don't, you don't spend two third round picks on running backs to cut one of them entering their third or second year. So it's pretty much a given that Moss and Singletary are going to make the roster. Can Breda, Can Breda contribute special teams wise? Can he be that gunner that Taiwan Jones has proven himself to be so invaluable to this team? If he can, he could easily carve out that role where, my God, if the Bills could keep those three backs at the top, I don't know. That would give them so many options to choose from when it comes to then you truly would have the lightning and the thunder component. Of course, the Thunder being Moss and Singletary rolled into one and Breda being that breakaway speed back. It's intriguing
2: to say the least. The one thing the Bills seemed to be severely lacking was the big time speed guy. The guy who, even if the defender had the angle on him, was still going to break free. And I'm not saying guys like Stefan Diggs are slow. In fact, Dawson Knox is very fast. For a tight end. That's the qualifier. And you see it when you watch the Chiefs. And it's been said all the way back to the 90s when the Dallas Cowboys put that defense together, speed kills. There's just, you can't teach speed. You can't defend speed. It's just, if your squad is faster than the other team, there's going to be plays that the other team just can't make against yours. And I'm glad that the Bills noticed that and brought Breda in now. He may very well end up the weekly inactive guy, sort of like TJ Yeldon was. But I think that Breda brings enough to the table that he could probably figure out a way to get on the field, even on game days. I hope he can figure out a way to to contribute on special teams, though. And not to jump in on you, Jamie, but I think that that
1: the, the Breda stats, I was looking them up as you were chatting about him, he had a two-year run in 18 and 19. Now, granted, 18, he was a starter for 13 out of 14 games, averaged 5.3 yards per rush, and also had 9.7 yards per reception, which is another area the Bills could use some strengths out of their backs, is catching passes out of the backfield. If you look at the career touches for Breda, Singletary, and Moss, Moss has averaged 4.6 yards per touch, granted only in one full season with the Bills. Singletary is 5.1 yards per touch in his two years with Buffalo. Matt Breda is 5.5 yards per touch. That's a pretty special figure. And if he can find a way to do special teams contributions as well, I think he would be a much improved TJ Yeldon who actually would see a chance to see the field more often given his blend of speed and explosiveness and versatility. And you don't
2: have the issues with the fumble that you had with TJ Yeldon.
1: Oh my gosh, that's that that's another area where the Bills, and, and, and thankfully, yeah, I mean, look, good luck to TJ Yeldon wherever he signed this offseason, but he, the drops, you can't have the drops, you can't have the fumbles, and that's another area where Singletary showed remarkable improvement from year one to year two was his ball security. Yes. That's got to be given some kudos as well because that was really... Ah, oh, that was a detriment. If you can't hang on to the ball, you're no good to the offense.
2: Right. And do you remember that harsh lesson that Sean McDermott decided he wanted to uh, teach Zach Moss for not securing the ball?
1: Zach Moss was the one
2: who only had 11 snaps total one after having that
1: fumble deep in Buffalo territory in that win over the 49ers. Zach Moss was the one who had that big time fumble. And you know, he learned a big time lesson. He didn't have any issues with ball security the final five, six games of the year afterwards. So that's a good lesson learned.
2: It's interesting. You know, I just to riff on that for one second. So often coaches will put a player back in the game and immediately give them the ball to try to raise their confidence level to be like, hey, we still believe in you, even though you made a mistake. McDermott went the exact opposite direction and was like, I don't love you anymore. <laughs> oh, I love it. You got hey, you got to learn that lesson. I mean, this is a
1: valuable uh, lesson for a rookie to come in and, and take away. And Singletary did have that same type of lesson. And again, we saw Strides making a big time direction for him with his ball security from his first year to his second year in the league. So, Jamie, we, we've gone through this and and the answer can be a hybrid. But when we, we set off the premise of this topic of breaking down the running backs and who is going to be the lead back in Buffalo, what is your answer to that question?
2: My answer is that it depends. I believe that Zach Moss is the more explosive of the two players that he can do more with less. And I think in a lot of cases, you saw that he was forced to do more with less. I think he's the player that the coaching staff wants to win out. But this is what it is going to depend upon. What sort of blocking scheme are the Bills going to use in 2021? If they go back to the pulling scheme, it seems like Devin Singletary will be the most suited for that. However, if they continue down the path of zone blocking, hands down, it is going to be Zach Moss. And I think you'll actually see a fantastic your number 2 from him if they go with that. He's just so well suited to plant his foot in the ground, turn up field and run somebody over. Brian Dable will
1: definitely be the guy who I think rides the hot hand when it comes to this uh this backfield, whoever leads the the Buffalo Bills backs. It is interesting to note that the second half of last year from weeks 8 to 16, 9 game stretch, Moss outsnapped Singletary in six of those games, which shows that the Bills coaching staff had the confidence in the rookie that he had overtaken Singletary at the top of the backfield. But again, I feel like I don't know, Moss is the more complete back. I think Singletary has potential for Um, Just given the fact that he's more elusive than than Zach Moss, that if he really has committed himself to this weight room regimen and it pays off and the blocking scheme suit. Again, you're right. The blocking scheme will determine who is the lead back of the two. I think Moss is the more complete back. I think Singletary has more potential if he makes those strides translate onto the playing field. But I think what's really going to happen is we're probably going to see Moss get 60% of the snaps and Singletary get 40% with Braid of the Dark Horse to possibly come in there and steal some repetitions given his, again, breakaway speed that none of the other backs on this team possess.
2: There is good reason to give both and really all three players snaps. And we're going to see that. And keeping your backs fresh is definitely a good way of going about it. You know, You don't need your, as you referred to it, a bell cow back in today's NFL. Keep your guy fresh. Throw the ball like you're going to. And, you know, if somebody's having a good game or it's a particularly good matchup, keep them in the game. No harm, no foul. You got two, possibly three decent backs.
1: It's a good position for the Bills to find themselves in. It's also, again, worth noting. I think you said this earlier, too, that this is not a Buffalo Bills team. that's going to be running the ball 50, 55 times a game. I mean, nobody does that in this NFL. So, you know, if (laughs) it depends on versatility and it depends on having the backs have the stamina to make it all the way through this long season. So, yeah, two back. Three back committee with Breda getting some occasional touches in there seems like the good way to go. And Dable, I have full confidence that he will deploy the weapons in the best possible fashion for these bills to succeed uh, in 2021. So there you have it. There's our thoughts on Buffalo's running back situation and who should be the lead back. Should there even be a lead back? We kind of debunked that towards the end, saying more of a committee makes sense given the fact of how few teams in the NFL actually only have a one-back system. I mean, Saquon Barkley and the Giants, Ezekiel Elliott and the Cowboys, You know, there's a couple of teams like that that have one primary back, but for the most part, teams employ two running backs because the position breaks down so easily too with all the demands and rigors of being a running back in today's NFL. If you have thoughts on this topic, we would love to hear them. Get involved with us on Twitter, Jamie is at the Jamie D'Amico, and I am at John Baccasino. You can also comment on our articles on BuffaloRumblings.com. Jamie, great stuff today. Always enjoy your uh, your insights.
2: Buddy, you brought it strong as always.
1: We are here for you, Bill's Mafia. We again want you to get involved with our podcast, so please give us your feedback. And that will do it for this week's episode of Believe, a Buffalo Bills fan podcast. For my colleague, Jamie D'Amico, I am John Boccasino signing off for Believe.
0: More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot, because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. From data privacy to the future of TV, retail media, and beyond, The world of digital marketing is constantly in flux. So, how can you keep up? Well, the current report is there for you. Each week, marketing leaders on the cutting edge give you the latest insight. So, if it's creating a buzz, they'll be talking about it. Subscribe to the current report wherever you get your podcasts.